As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Please be advised this podcast contains descriptions of graphic violence and it's not appropriate for children. I was working as a receptionist in a Melbourne brothel in 1999 and our boss was a beautiful lady called Vicky who invited all of us to a staff dinner once a month. She'd often ask a guest speaker to come along to talk about various safety and self-care issues, particularly pertinent to sex workers, and one of those speakers was a young woman called Nikki Patterson who was in the process of setting up a counselling practice in her own home. 
Nikki was a big hit at the dinner, which can't be said for every speaker. She was softly spoken and gentle, and she made the girls feel like they deserved to be listened to and that nothing they had to say would shock her. She was very good at her job. Everyone took one of her business cards, and a lot of the girls even followed through and called her about appointments. About a week later, the girls started complaining that she wasn't getting back to them. It never occurred to any of us that the murdered woman we'd heard about in the news was Nikki, let alone that she was the latest victim of a vicious predator who'd been attacking women in our community since he was 15 years old. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. Peter Dupas is an Australian serial killer who currently resides in the Port Phillip Correctional Centre in the western suburbs of Melbourne. But we now know that he'd been raping, assaulting and murdering women for 30 years by the time he was finally sent to jail for good. His last victim, Nikki Patterson, was actually the first murder for which he was convicted. We spoke recently to former homicide and arson detective Jeff Marr, who investigated Nikki's murder, and we started by asking him how Nicole Patterson and Peter Dupas crossed paths. She started her psychotherapy um, and set her house up as a clinic, the front room as a clinic, and um, Dupas had obviously, over a period of time, um, stalked her, and uh, he set himself up as her first client on that Monday. So that was was absolutely her first time she was taking the private business, or was it just the first client of the day? No, it was the first client. Uh, my understanding, it was the first client. And it's a while ago now, so it's yeah. 1999, no, it's nearly right, 20 years ago. When I met her, she was she was talking to us about the fact that she was she had been working for some other organisation, but she was going out on her own. And so she was talking about what days I'm at the office, but I'm going to start working from home. So I think mm, you're right. I think he yeah. was probably her first client right. ever at home. So when you go to these scenes, you know, you have we haven't got the um, – we haven't got hindsight. We don't know what's going on. So we have to hypothesise when we turn up the scene to say, well, what's going on? And it's only till the other building blocks of the case come together, like the what the relatives can tell us, like what friends can tell us, um, the girl that was around there that night for dinner with her and discovered her body, and also um, door knocking and, find, and all the other blocks start to build the case up. So what did so, you find at the scene? Well, we just, well, we got called, um, by, uh, the uniform, the uniform van from Northcote, uh, staffed by two female members got called, uh, to the scene. Uh, they were called by, uh, Nikki's friend who turned up there to go out for dinner with her. Uh, and she discovered Nikki's body in the front room. What happens is then is that the van goes in to see whether in fact it's occurred, uh, it had occurred, and they then contact the local detectives. They get called out. The local detectives turn up and they determine whether an offence has been committed, whether it's, you know, whether it might have been um, no suspicious circumstances, suicide or whatever, um, or whether an offence has been committed. So the detectives turn up and they go out there and they make an assessment and they went straight in and made an assessment and contacted the on-call homicide crew, which it was... a pretty was, violent scene that they found there, wasn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, mm. absolutely. Um, and 
they then contacted the on-call homicide team, which was myself, um, senior detective, senior sergeant, and I called out Dave Snare, who's just about to retire as well. So uh, he was the sergeant on my crew, and then we assessed the job, and then we um, called the rest of the crew out. What did you ascertain from the scene? I mean, I know that when you walk into a scene, you can gather a lot of information like um, stabbings generally means that, that the person knows their attacker. Is that true? And like little things like that that you can generally pick up from the scene? We we determine it's, it's a little bit akin to fire investigation as well, whether there's been forced entry. Mm-hmm. Um you know, whether the fire is a forced entry or whether there's been forced entry into a building, say, that's the same with the homicide scene. It's the same set of rules. Had there been forced entry? No, there hadn't been forced entry. Uh, the person had been let in. Um, it looked like the person was engaging with Nikki in some um, refreshments um, that morning and... Uh, you know, then uh, there was obviously a violent confrontation from the offender to Nikki, and uh, as a result, she tried to defend herself. Unfortunately, she uh, uh, she she was killed. Um, and uh, it wasn't until that night, uh, when her girlfriend turned up for dinner, that in fact um, her body was discovered, and the cavalry was called. You know, the, we were called. So, so what happens next in the investigation? So, we. You know, obviously, cordon contain the scene. We get as much as we can out of the witnesses that are there at the time, and that was her girlfriend. Um, we then obviously uh, try to identify who's been involved, meaning the deceased, and then contact, matter of priority, the relatives, yeah. which we did. We were able to contact them and start to get a bit more of a picture about what was going on. Did she have a, like a um, appointment book or anything? Was there anything helpful? Yeah, there, there, there was a diary. Yeah, yeah, there was a diary, uh, and we got hold of the diary, uh, which came later in the search of the scene. Mm-hmm. So when we get there, we don't know what's going on. Obviously, um, something had occurred earlier in the day, and uh, it started to piece together when we spoke to the relatives, and they said, and uh, they're very, very lovely people that. Um, she said that she had her first client the following morning um, on her uh, new um, vocation as a psychotherapist and um, they saw her the night before. That connected with the door knocking and never underestimate door knocking mm-hmm. around particular a crime scene. Um, we picked up a number of witnesses that heard a violent exchange between a female and a male earlier um, that morning, which was on Monday, uh, the 19th of April, 1999. So heard that exchange and then heard some yelling and then heard nothing and just thought it was a, a domestic, a family dispute and, and yeah. let it go. And that, it become relevant later on. Okay. So. Oh, it's just terrible to hear that, but I, I wouldn't think it was anything else either. I mean, it's terrible to think that a, a stranger can walk into a woman's home yeah. under the pretense of, whatever, uh, being there to pick up something from Gumtree or have an appointment with her or whatever, and that they could have a screaming, violent argument and he could kill her and that no one could come looking. But I wouldn't go looking next door if I heard that. Well, I, what I thought was an so argument. I hear what you say. The, the, the uh, I suppose one of the issues is that Harper Street and all those streets that go off West Garth Street all head down to the railway station. So there's a lot of 
toing and froing of people yeah. and it could be a lot of, you know, you get, you know, rowdy, you know, people, you get drunken people. Yeah. And also, you know, it's an eclectic area. Yeah. So, you know, there's some low socioeconomic right up to, you know, some people with a lot of money living around there. Yeah. So they've got all mm. sorts. Um, so, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I do agree. But um, they thought it wasn't re- relevant, both of them. There were two in the street mm. um, and they didn't contact. Was, did Dupas live around the neighbourhood? How did he? No, he was living over in Pascal Vale south. Okay. So that's some ways from there, from Northgate. Well, it is, but it was within the same realm of the Northgate and the leading newspaper distribution. So That's where he saw her ad. Which she advertised in that paper. So you mentioned that he'd obviously stalked Nikki, you know, pinpointed her as a victim. How did he go about that? Well, we can only assume because Jude Pass is really uh, in his uh, later years of, of offending, um, never really given any insight uh, into his mm. offending. So we can only assume, and my understanding is that there was an advertisement um, in the paper, not an advertisement, it was sort of an article in the paper that featured Nikki and a couple of other women uh, talking about counselling services, psychotherapy mm. services, mm. Uh, and had pictures of the three, including yeah. Nikki. Uh, and also in the same newspaper, I believe, that she had a advertisement mm-hmm. in there as well. So you can only assume, put, you know, one and one together makes three. That people see something in and it's paper. quite innocent and then they just pinpoint that or get fixated on it. Yeah. Um, it's really scary. And unfortunately it takes all kind in our community. So um, we can only assume that's how we sort of um, – Located or saw or started to get fixated on um, Nikki, and you've got to understand that Nikki's murder um, was the last mm, of the right. murders. Yep. So, last of the murders, first of the arrests. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was involved in the others' uh, you know, reviews and. So, were you involved in the other investigations at the time? What was his his first murder? Was uh, Margaret Ma. Also, well, Margaret Ma. Um, so Margaret. So it runs like this: is that um, we got called out. Um, our crew was so much under the pump um, at that point in time with jobs, uh, preparing briefs of evidence, uh, and uh, we, we had a lot on. So I volunteered sight unseen to do the brief. Now, that's a bit unusual with the Homicide Squad because detective senior sergeants are usually uh, investigation <coughs> managers uh, and we only do the briefs on police shootings. Um, the shooting by uh, police officers or members of the public and police officers being shot, which I've done uh, quite a few investigations as well. But I volunteered for this and it turned out that, you know, 1999 to 2016, it followed me all the way, the particular investigation. I was the informant, as I said, which is rare. I charged him. We went to trial. You charged Dupas? I charged Dupas with uh, Nicky Patterson's. Right. And then as a result of going to trial, it then worked backwards. So what we did was um, there was a detective uh, by the name of Paul Scarlett who's now Detective Senior Sergeant, an outstanding operator. Um, he 
with together with uh, Mick Daly, who was at the Homicide Squad at the time, uh, who's now an inspector. And also then you've got Mick Roberts, who was my boss until I retired last year at the Arson Explosive Squad. They were involved in DuPass. So we worked on that particular, uh, on the Patterson job, and then they formed a task force to have a look back to see what other murders that DuPass had been involved in. And why did you, seems like a silly question, but why did you think that he had been involved in other murders? So what made you believe that? Because of the, um, the, I suppose you'd call the signature of um, uh, the style uh, and the modus operandi of the the murder Mm -hmm. and how he conducted the murder and um, some of the unique signatures uh, and in particular some of the injuries as well. So we then worked backwards and they formed a task force, Mercado, um, and I I didn't go back to that. I stayed at the Homicide Squad in charge of a crew uh, and I'd had two pass convicted and he was doing life, no minimum, never to be released. So For Nikki's murder. For Nikki's yep. murder. So a very small club. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there are only a small number of people within the state doing life, no minimum, never to be released. So um, he was doing life, no minimum. He appealed. Uh, the appeal was knocked out and he was doing life, no minimum. Um, Mick Daly and Paul Scarlett went across to Task Force Mercado, which was being run by, at the time, Greg Huff and by Chris O'Connor. Um and Chris O'Connor's now out of the job and, and Greg Huff's a detective superintendent of crime. Great operators as well. So they pursued Pass for other crimes. And as a result of that, um, they started to form a brief against Pass for the murder of Margaret Marr, right. who was found in Summerton, whose semi-naked body was found in Summerton, uh, dumped amongst computer equipment, uh, on the side of the road. In 1997? 1997. So uh, even though I was at the Homicide Squad, at that point in time, it was not my job. It, it was came an, under Mercado. Came, it came under another detective senior sergeant, but was grabbed by Mercado to have a look at uh, these other jobs. Tell us about interviewing Peter Dupas when you um, when you brought him in. For the murder of Nicky Patterson, um was we arrested him at the Excelsior Hotel in Pakistan. He was playing the uh, the pokies and we grabbed him uh, there. What had led you to um, him being your suspect? Well, it was a whole heap of things. There was a whole heap of evidence um, that was starting to build up. Um, the uh, the diary we talked about um, with, a, uh, with, a, with a number uh, and a name in it, which was Malcolm was the name and an appointment at 9, 9 or 9.30 in the morning and a mobile phone number. That phone number led us to a couple of uh, innocent parties who eventually um, were alibied. And then once we did, we got all the other bits and pieces of evidence together that we had, then we did um, some phone checks on Nicky's landline, you know, that old technology uh, landlines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we did some phone checks on some landlines and Dupass, um, Dupass's name popped up against uh, amongst the um, subscribers. So there were a whole heap of subscribers ringing Nicky, but, you know, relatives and 
tried to people and a whole heap of friends and that, but there was only one violent sexual predator mm. that had done at that time, I think, about 20 to 25 years. For rape? For uh, rapes, indecent assaults. He started when he was 16 by attacking the neighbour over the road and it all went downhill from there. Mm. Uh, I think he did some kidnappings, a whole heap of stuff. So um, he'd done some bad time. Um and his num- number pops up. So his number pops up. Um, we had all the other bits and pieces together. Uh, the planets all aligned and we went and arrested him. Uh, and lo and behold, when we grabbed him um, uh, at the Excelsior Hotel, he had a what appeared to me to be a, a strike of a, a nail, meaning a human nail, down, down his cheek. Mm-hmm. And that only reinforced, you know, what we had. Um, we went back from uh, the Excelsior Hotel. Oh, he was initially interviewed in the car at the Excelsior Hotel by um, uh, Paul Scarlett uh, and by um, Steve Mitchell, who's a, who was a detective sergeant at Swan Hill, who was on my crew as well. Uh, and basically uh, he gave some answers to some questions uh, and uh, he was taken back uh, to... Um, his um, house in Pasco Vale South, where we executed a search warrant on the house, uh, and that's where we found um, a whole heap of other evidence there that related back to uh, not uh, well related back to the Dupas case, uh, the um, Nikki Patterson case, which was a ripped up note on the same page as her advertisement in the leading newspaper with his handwriting at the top with her phone number, the time in the morning, uh, her address, and also I think it had uh, Malcolm written on it as well, the assumed name he'd given her. There was also um, the jacket found, uh, which had her DNA on it and his DNA on it uh, and a number of other things that were found that sort of cemented case against him. Uh, as a result of that, I probably think within 40 hours of the crime, we charged him with the murder of um, Nikki. That's uh, pretty fast for homicide, is it? That's a pretty good result. Pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. but Particularly know, given that he'd evaded charges on previous murders. It's a quick yeah, turnaround. Yeah, um, we had a good and strong case against him and um, um, we worked continuously for a substantial period of time, um, which would not happen now. Uh, fatigue management um, came in not too long after really Dupass um, by not allowing members to work substantial hours um, in one hit. Okay. Um, a bit like doctors, you know, when they're working, junior doctors working like 20 hours. Yeah, and we're spot on. No, that's spot on. And I think that, you know, times have changed. So fatigue management came in. It wouldn't happen now, but we worked a substantial period of time until we basically charged him. uh, And then we rocked on home and had some sleep and locked him up and went home. Yeah, so. um, What was he like? Yeah, tell us about his his manner. So, nondescript. Uh, you wouldn't you could walk past him in the street and not even think another thought about him. I described him described him as a bit of a poindexter, as a bit of a <laughs> geeky looking guy, as a uh, yeah, beige. Yeah. 
Um, he wouldn't say much to us. He'd give his name, rank and serial number, uh, basically. But that was about it. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Dupas's beige exterior belies an incredibly dark and violent personality. Coming up, we'll hear more about the long list of crimes he'd committed before he was finally stopped by the murder of Nicole Patterson. At 15 years of age, still dressed in his high school uniform, Peter Dupas, bespectacled and unassuming, knocked on the next-door neighbour's front door. She was holding her five-week-old baby when she answered, but she was well acquainted with Peter and not at all alarmed when he asked her if he could borrow a large, sharp knife. He said he needed to cut some potatoes for his mother, and the neighbour even commended him on being so helpful. Seconds later, he started slashing at her face with her own knife. She told police soon after, I was holding onto the knife at one stage trying to break the blade. I was lying on my back and he was sitting on top of me. He said, it's too late, I can't stop now, they'll lock me up. After covering her mouth with his hand and repeatedly bashing the woman's head on the floor, Dupas stopped as abruptly as he had begun. He told police he didn't know why he'd attacked his neighbour and that he would never intentionally hurt anyone. I can remember having the knife in my hand, Dupas told police. I must have been trying to kill her or something. Well, we now know that Dupas went on to intentionally hurt dozens if not hundreds of women, and he was actually convicted for some of those crimes. His former homicide detective, Jeff Ma. 
Um, you know, there were a lot of other violent uh, crimes that he committed, rapes that he got decent time for. So it's it's, it's alarming to think these very very dangerous men mm. they're walking around. So oh. from getting life no minimum and me staying back at homicide and Scarlett and Daly and uh, Greg Huff and Chris O'Connor moving on to Mercado, they built up a case against um, Dupas for Margaret Mars murder, some of them in 1997, um, and there was a glove found near a body. Uh, his DNA was located in that glove. Upon further review of new DNA technology, okay. her injuries were very similar to other victims, um, and uh, we used the National Homicide Monitoring Program in Canberra to give evidence uh, after he was charged because the signature was so unique. Dr Jenny Musos at the time was the uh, head of that monitoring program. So he was charged by Scarlett, uh, Paul Scarlett, with the murder of Margaret Ma and uh, went to uh, went to trial. Uh, basically, he was, uh, you know, he made no comment. He was brought out of jail, interviewed made no comment, put it back in, uh, and he was charged, went to trial, and he was convicted of the murder of Margaret Ma. How had he come into contact with Margaret Ma? Um, well, not exactly sure, but she used to hang around basically down towards the first and last hotel in that area around down the, the bottom of the, uh, of the Hume Highway, I think, the old... Hume Highway, um, and uh, yeah, look, not exactly sure, mm-hmm. but you know, it was the signature of the injuries were were unique, and also the um, the DNA in the glove right, right. next to the body, yeah, uh, and so on and so forth. You know, led us to him, and the jury, um, you know, quite quickly came to the decision uh, that he was guilty, and uh, yeah, he was uh, convicted, life no minimum, never to be released for. Mm-hmm. The Again. murder of Margaret Ma. So obviously people say to us, well, why do you do it? He's already doing life. Well, you do it for the victims. In 1997, two years before Nicole Patterson's murder, 10-year-old Lisa Tinkler was tending to her grandfather's grave with her mother at Melbourne's huge Faulkner Cemetery. She told her mother she'd heard a woman scream in the distance, but her mother assured her that it was her imagination or a trick of the wind that always seems to be howling around that part of town. It was actually a desperate cry for help from 25-year-old Mersina Helvargas, who'd been visiting her own grandmother's grave in the Greek Orthodox area of the cemetery. She'd been attacked from behind as she knelt and prayed. In his summing up of the murder trial that followed, Justice Cummins said to Dupas, just as Miss Helvargas's presence at the cemetery was typical of her goodness, your presence at the cemetery was typical of your evil. Cunning, predatory and homicidal. Justice Cummins said that Messina had had no chance against Dupas's strength, his knife and his hatred. Messina's father, George Helvargas, is still a strong presence in victims of crime support groups around Australia. And he was a well-known fixture at Dupas's earlier trials. In the trials of Margaret Ma and uh, Nikki, uh, George Hell Vargas would be turning up 
at court all the time. And I got to know George, yeah. and as I say, uh, Nikki Patterson family, fantastic people, the Hal Vargas family, awesome mm. people. George is a beautiful, George is a beautiful man, man, yeah. Great. So, but got to know George, and then he followed the trials, and he was at the trials, the first two trials. So Paul Scarlett and I then joined forces as a as an investigation um, to review um, Messina Halbarga. So are you saying that George suspected that Dupas had killed Messina? It was obviously suspected for a long time that um, that uh, Dupas was involved. So we started working on that particular job together uh, and as a result of that we were able to gain further evidence and one particular bit of evidence was that uh, Paul, in his tenacious way, um, uh, visited a number of um, crooks that had done time in jail, and I won't mention the other ones, but some nasty human beings, and uh, eventually uh, spoke to uh, Fraser. Andrew Fraser is a former high-profile Melbourne lawyer who was sentenced to seven years' imprisonment in 2001 for participating in the importation of a commercial quantity of cocaine. In 2006, Fraser was released two months early after agreeing to give evidence against Peter Dupas in his trial for the murder of Messina Helvargas. Fraser claimed that Dupas had performed a disturbing mime for him in which he detailed how he'd snuck up on Messina and stabbed her from behind. The entire episode is detailed in Fraser's excellent book, Lunatic Soup, and again in the subsequent miniseries, Killing Time, which is also excellent. And Fraser, um, as a result of that, gave us uh, some um, uh, evidence that we uh, put in the form of a statement, and that statement went back to the OPP, Office of Public Prosecutions, and uh, there'd never been enough evidence. Close but no cigar. Um, Is this the mime? Uh, and then he gave the evidence. He made a statement, uh, and the miming of the uh, of the um, killing in the scene, and also that there were no forensics left at the scene. Mm, okay. And it went from there. We then charged uh, Paul charged. Um, Duke uh, pass with the murder of Messina, and um, I was involved in that trial with him. Um, and uh, that trial went. We, uh, we, uh, Fraser was a, a witness, and he gave evidence in that trial um, under intense cross examination. Intense cross examination, and as a result of that, that trial. Um, the jury went out a number of days and come back and convicted due pass of the murder of Messina Helvargas. Which is a classic example of why keep trying, isn't it? Well, tenaciousness, yeah. and yeah. it was, because we knew that we're on a, you know, a couple of winners with a few of the others, and there's been, and there's, a, you know, one other uh, since we, we suspect him of a, a couple of others, but, mm. you know, the matter of um, Kathleen Downs has been before the yeah. coroner's court, and that was Mick Daly took that investigation on. And, um, and that was um, Kathleen Downs was 90 in a nursing home. or I think, yeah. in a nursing home in a New Year's Eve um, yeah. and stabbed to death. And Mick Daly, in his ten- tenacious way, pursued that to the coroner's court well, where um, I think just before he retired, the coroner, Ian Gray, 
basically nominated and in his finding that Dupas was a murderer. Uh, and the status is, at, at the moment, I, I'm not exactly sure what's mm. going on with it. It may be before the OPP. So, uh, but, yeah, so uh, third conviction for the uh, for Dupas for murder, and that was for Messina, life, no minimum, triple life he's doing. Whitey will keep going, victims' families again, mm-hmm. justice for them. Um, so as a result of the first trial in the scene held by Argus, um, the defence appealed. And uh, he appealed all the way to pass on all the other murders. So we had to jump every hoop on every particular um, conviction and sentence. And it was an appeal... And then for the first two murders, the appeals were knocked out, Mar and, and Patterson and Nicky. So he then appealed against the second, um, uh, appealed against uh, Messina's um, conviction uh, and uh, we ended up at the High Court of yeah. Australia. So, so much, work, incredible amount of work involved. Absolutely. You, like huge. huge uh, and huge pressure. Huge. And then we ended up um, flying myself and Scarlett and the OPP and up flying up the High Court where it was fought, you know, an appeal was fought at the High Court. And as a result of that appeal, um, it came back for a retrial. And we came back and ran the trial again uh, and got all the witnesses again and gave evidence and Fraser gave evidence again. And... Um, as a result of that, the jury went out again and convicted him, uh, and he received life no minimum again. Uh, and then he appealed again. How much money? Do you have any yeah. idea how much money this costs? Well, I understand us? that um, millions, of, millions of dollars. Yeah, um, but I'm not exactly sure. It's, you know, we don't do uh, the amounts of money. You can see by these other cold case shows and mm. that. You know, they're getting results. And, you know, it's, you never give up. No, no, but it's just no. frustrating that, that someone like Peter Dupas, who was already convicted of two of these murders, can run through the cycle again and yeah. again and again and take the government to court and take you guys back and back. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, but I won't, I won't go down that <laughs> No track. worries. All right. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, what was it? Um, what What was the reason it went to retrial when you went to the High Court? Uh, my, uh, there was uh, two... Two um, separate grounds, and it's a while ago now, so yep. but on the separate grounds, one related to eyewitness identification and um, and some um, technical issues at the trial. Yeah. Um, and the other one was that he was so notorious mm. that he'd right. never get a fair yeah. trial. And he ran the example of um, um, our mate with the toupee. Um, oh, um, Tony Mockbell. Oh. Tony Mockbell. I'm so notorious, I'll never get a fair trial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was knocked out. At, um, uh, but it went back um, for a retrial um, on the other on the other ground. Um, in 1974, a prison psychiatrist noted that. Dupas was, um, he had a psychosexual problem that he was using denial as a coping device and that he was potentially dangerous and maybe impossible to treat. In your opinion, how many blokes like this are wandering the streets? He, that, that probably, that doctor probably nailed it at that point. In That's time. it. And that was uh, 74. So, I mean, obviously. Can I, can I tell you that I've travelled extensively around the world? Yeah. And I've travelled with work extensively around the world. Uh, and we're in a really good position here in Australia. Okay. It's different to a lot of other societies. 
you know, the bigger, larger populations and that, where you've got some strange cats. But um, look, there are those people wandering around, but at the end of the day, um, you know, our murder rate is between 60 and 80 a year compared to some other, um, you know, uh, areas in the world, countries in the world, which have a substantial, you know, 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times our murder rate. So, And for a serial killer? Yeah. It's very rare again. And rare mm-hmm. again. And, that, you know, we have not a lot of serial killers in this country. You know, you can think about them probably on one, one or Mm. One or two hands, really, in the mm. scheme of things. Um, you know, Snowtown. Um, Malat. Malat. We um, did an interview with the family of Nanette Alice, whose 1984 murder has never been solved. And I know that the crew reinvestigating that definitely looked at Dupas because of the nature of her her murder. He was ruled out, but she was she was stabbed to death. You know, um, someone entered the home not forcibly. Yeah, so they. Definitely I remember doing a review myself on that particular uh, homicide uh, many years ago mm. there, and it then went further on the cold case for them to have a look yeah. later on. But, yeah, we ruled him out. We yeah. ruled him out of a lot of other mm. um, murders because he was either in custody. Yeah. He has been in custody a lot, hasn't he, throughout his Decades. life? Decades. Yeah. So I guess Decades. that makes so it. he's ruled out and he's yeah. alibied and he's out, so... Yeah. Um, Do you believe he's um, done more than Kathleen Downs? And yeah, how many do you think he's really? Well, good there's for? there's um, Renita Brunton, okay. Sunbury in a second-hand clothing store. Mm-hmm. Um, Helen McMahon. Helen McMahon at the right back beach in 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he. My understanding is he did a rape um, a month. Get a month after the murder in a, a, a locality very close to where Helen was murdered. And, mm-hmm. but you know, we also believe that he was on day release the day of Helen McMahon's murder. So, uh, wow. But you know, they're, they're, they're jobs for the homicide squad and the cold case mm-hmm. squad to look at and, yep. and so on. And you know, they'll never give up. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. And thank you for your continued support of the podcast. We'll be back next Thursday with another instalment. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. 
If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.